John chapter 7, and we will begin reading in verse 37 through to verse 39. This is the word of God. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's pray together. Father, again we ask you your blessings upon us. Lord, we know that in our natural minds we cannot conceive of the things of God or receive them. So Lord, this morning we pray that you would meet us here by your Spirit and that you would open your word to us and that it would do the work that it meant, is meant to do in our lives this morning to glorify your name, that we would all be changed to be more like your Son, Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, in America today, we, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much abundance that the basic needs of life, our food and water, are seldom even on our minds, right? I mean, when was the last time you were concerned that today you would have enough food or enough water? Water flows out of every tap in our homes. We can buy it from the store in bottles like this one. There's food options galore, right? You cannot drive a half mile or a quarter of a mile in this city without running into a fast food chain of some kind, right? The we have so much abundance, and that's a great thing. We are thankful for it. But sometimes I wonder if we really know what it means to be thirsty or know what it means to be hungry. It's hard for us to relate. Food, and, and we become bored with it. There's so much abundance we have. You know, think of all the advertisements you see on the, on the TV where food and beverage companies are creating new new items for us to purchase, trying to, spending millions on advertisement just so that we'll buy their product. So it's hard for us to kind of relate to this passage a little bit because we don't get thirsty and hungry so often. I was trying to think in my own experience when the last time I was really thirsty and what came to my mind, I had to go all the way back to when I was probably six years old. Living in, growing up in Tennessee, it was the summertime, it was hot, it was humid, and I was in baseball, Little League Baseball. And it was about my turn to come to bat. Now, I remember this because of what happened. I was thirsty, I went to the water cooler, and I drank, and I drank, and I drank from the water cooler. So much that the coach looked and saw that, and he yelled at me, he said, you're, you're waterlogged, you're going to be waterlogged, there's no way you're going to be able to bat. So I got up to the plate, my, probably my very first time I can, that I can remember, and I hit a home run. <laughs> and the coach never bothered me again about, about the water bottle or the water cooler. 
But in biblical times, in Jesus' time, when he made this statement, it would have been much more common for people to experience thirst and hunger, especially if they had to travel very far from their home. So I want to take a minute to set the background of what was happening at this feast that Jesus was at. Earlier in chapter 2, I mean verse 2 of the, of the chapter, John tells us that it was the Jewish Feast of Booths that was at hand. The Feast of Booths. And Jesus was going to make his way from Galilee to Jerusalem to attend this feast. Now the Feast of Booths was, is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And tabernacle just means a habitation that you would live in. And it was especially a temporary uh, tabernacle. Uh, the Feast of Booths was one of three times in the year when the people of Israel were supposed to pilgrim, pilgrim to uh, Jerusalem, travel to Jerusalem, and celebrate the last harvest of the year. It was the last harvest of, of the year. It gets its name Booths because they would set up these temporary booths or huts uh, as a way to remember their time in the, in the wilderness when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, to really understand the background, I want to take you all the way back to the time in Israel's past when they were slaves in Egypt. You recall that they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Think about that for a minute. That's longer than America has been a nation. And... The people were in terrible bondage, and they cried out to God for deliverance, and God heard their cries, and he raised up his servant, Moses, to lead them out of bondage and into a promised land. And when he did this, he took them through the Red Sea, into the desert, and because of the people's rebellious hearts, even seeing all the miracles and deliverance of God, God caused them to wander in the desert for 40 years. But he provided for them during that time. Do you remember how he provided? He caused bread from heaven to miraculously fall into the desert. And he caused water to flow from a rock. And God provided for his people for those 40 years. And then God used Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. Moses never entered the promised land. Why? He disobeyed God's instructions at the very end regarding the rock. But before Moses died, he gave this command from God to the people that they would have a yearly feast, a celebration, to remember their time of wandering in the desert. So I'd like to read to you that, that passage, that command from Leviticus 23. You won't turn there, but I'll read it to you. It's from Leviticus 23. It says that on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the seventh, on the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. 
that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, as I was looking, researching this festival a little bit more, I found on the Jews for Jesus website some interesting information. It turns out that the 15th day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar was seven days ago today. So what does that mean? That means that today, October 20th, if I did the math right, was the great day of the feast. Now, I didn't know that when I was searching and praying about what to, to preach this morning. But when I found that out, I thought that was pretty cool. And that was a cool thing that the Lord did. So, happy Feast of Booths Day. <laughs> now, in Hebrew, I'm going to give you just a couple of Hebrew words this morning. In Hebrew, it's called the, the Sukkot. That's the, the Hebrew for booths, or sukkah as the singular. And it was also, it's also commonly known as the season of our joy. It's meant to be a joy, the most joyous of the feast that the Jewish people experienced. It was supposed to be more so than any others that they would celebrate the harvest and remember the provision of God. So let me read a little bit here from, from their website on this, the observations, what they would do during the Sukkot. There were actually three main rites that they would uh, have during this Feast of Booths. was the, the water drawing and libation uh, ceremony, the illumination of the temple, and the building of the booths. Three things. Only the latter was actually commanded in the Torah that we read earlier. The other two were derived from other sources, but they were certainly practiced during Jesus' time. And it's going to come into, it's going to get, shed some light on, on why he said what he said at that time. So the Talmud describes this, and, and it mentions that at the seventh day, that's why John referred to it as the great day was the culmination of those two ceremonies, the lighting of, of the temple, the illumination of the temple, and the drawing of water and the celebration of water. These two practices aren't done anymore today because we don't have the temple. Only the, the sukkah or the booths are actually still practiced today. But let me read a description of what would happen during this drawing of the water celebration. It says that water was drawn from the Siloam Spring in Jerusalem every day of the Sukkot with great ceremony. And then it was brought to the temple. And here the priest made libation. He poured out the water at the altar. And some interpreters trace this origin of this particular rite to Isaiah 12, 3, which says, With joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. The second rite that they would do, a ritual, was the illumination. When the temple was still standing, great pillars of candle opera were erected in the court of women. And the Levite youth would pour oil into the basin from the, in the different branches of the candelabra. So you can imagine these huge candelabras, lots of branches coming off of them, oil in them, and they would take the, the used linen cloths from the Levi as wicks, and they would light these candelabras. 
Because the temple stood on top of a hill, the blazing candles illuminated the city below so that the people of Israel could see from afar. And this reminded the people of the glorious blaze of fire that accompanied the Israelites during the wilderness experience, the Shekinah of God, the pillar of fire by day and the smoke by night that accompanied them during their wanderings. And then lastly, there was the building of the sukkah. And there's been volumes that have been documented on in the Talmud on how they were supposed to build the, the uh, booths, the structures. It says that they were supposed to be frail. It wasn't, an, it wasn't supposed to be sturdy. It was supposed to be frail. You were supposed to be able to see the starlight through the roof. It was to be shaded, but not completely shaded. The list goes on and on on how they were to do this. They would decorate it with the different branches that we read in Leviticus. And it says that the main thing that they were supposed to gain from it was to, to remember their frail frames and their utter dependency upon the Lord. The Israelites made these booths to remember their wanderings in the wilderness that by God's grace and provision they survived during that time. So now let's look at our passage a little bit more. And for the sermon, I want to draw out three points, three main points of observation and application. And as I do that, I will take some water. The first point is to know that our greatest need in life is spiritual, not physical, and that only Christ can meet that need. Second, through Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit for life and peace. And third, what we receive from Christ is meant to flow out of us. So let's look at the first point. Our greatest need is spiritual, not physical. Reading again from the passage, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So picture the scene with me as we've been described. It's the last day of the feast, the greatest day of the feast, the culmination. It would have had the largest turnout of all the people. Some say that on the seventh, some commentators that I read said that on the seventh day they added a, a march around the altar. They were, seven times they marched around the altar to symbolize the seven times they marched around Jericho just before they entered the promised land. And all the people would have been waving the, the palm branches and, and they would actually be singing the Hallel, the Psalms 113 through 18, the Hallelujah to God. They would have followed the priest as he started at the temple, took his golden pitcher, there was a golden pitcher, and as they're singing praises to God, all the people and the priest would walk down to the spring of Siloam. And he would dip the pitcher in the spring with water, and then they would march back up to the temple. And imagine this in Jesus' time. And imagine this, this passage that we just read. It's not hard to imagine that 
at the point when the priest is pouring the water out in that ceremony, that's the time when Jesus, sitting nearby, stood up. The Bible says he stood up. And he cried out. That's a loud voice, a loud crying out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, Jesus, when he did this, he did it as an illustration, right? He wasn't talking about physical, literal water that would pour out of us if we believed in him. He was using it as an illustration of thirst and of physical water, but it meant something else. It was a spiritual thirst that he was getting at. So what is spiritual thirst? Spiritual thirst is that longing in your heart, in your inner being, to know God. To know and experience God is spiritual thirst. And Jesus says that if you have thirst of that kind, look to me. Look to me. Come to me and drink. That's the only way you're going to satisfy that thirst. So the question is, how do we know that? He says it right in this passage. The key is believe. He says, whoever believes in me will have rivers of living water. Whoever believes in Christ can have that spiritual thirst satisfied. And we know from the scriptures that that's the only way to truly satisfy that thirst. No one can come to God. No one can truly know God unless he believes in the son that he sent. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God, the Father, except through him. So Jesus is saying, just as physical water is necessary for life and to satisfy your physical thirst, Jesus himself is necessary for spiritual life and to know God and to satisfy that longing in your heart to know him. At the Feast of Booths, Jesus made this amazing proclamation and invitation. He's telling the Jewish people, you look to God for provision. You look to God for salvation. I'm it. I am it. And little did they realize it at that time. But Jesus not only was their future salvation and provision for eternal life, it was Jesus working through God the Father and the Spirit that actually provided for their ancestors all those years ago in the desert. It was Jesus. Those, that bread from heaven, the water from the rock, are those not types of salvation in Christ? Listen to John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 
Let's look at one other, ver- one other passage of Scripture where Jesus uses this illustration of water and thirst. If you would turn with me to this one, because it's a little bit lengthy, and it's in, just flip back to chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. Chapter 4. And we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, beginning in verse 7. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman from Samaria. For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Physical water that we drink only satisfies us temporarily. If you take a drink of water, And what happens in a few hours? You're thirsty again. Jesus is saying here and in the other passages that he offers to us for our spiritual thirst, eternal life, and never-ending satisfaction. How does he do this? How does Jesus make this offer to us today, to them and to us today? He could do it because he knew he was on a mission, right? He came for one reason, the Bible says, to earth, and that was to save his people from their sins. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, and when he died and paid the penalty for sin, and when he rose again from the dead, the Bible tells us that he defeated death. He defeated death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The Bible says. When Jesus comes again in his second coming, death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Jesus had the power to raise from the dead, and he has the power to raise us from the dead. As we read this morning from Romans, that Jason, the passage that Jason read to us, we have resurrection life in Christ. We have it today, but we'll have it in fullness when he comes again. And the Bible tells us that when that happens, there'll be no more dying. There'll be no more dying. Jesus provides eternal life to those who believe in him. Our greatest need today is not physical, it's spiritual. And only Jesus can provide that need. He can, only he can meet that need. Our second point this morning. Through Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit for life and peace. Back to John 7, 
In verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. At that point in time, there was an experience that the disciples could not have. And that was the experience of the fellowship with the risen and glorified Christ. Jesus made these statements at the, at the Feast of Booths. And when he did, it may not be hard to imagine that they were perhaps a little bit confused, right? Because they didn't know everything yet. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Listen to these, this comment uh, from John MacArthur in his commentary on this passage, speaking of, of the Gospel of John. In verse 39, he says, Now, John's personal commentary as he writes his gospel, he had years of hindsight as an advantage. As John stood there and listened to Jesus at the Feast of Booths, he probably wondered wondered to himself, what's he talking about? Rivers of living water. When he received the empowering of the Holy Spirit, he said, ah, that's what he's talking about. And today... As we talk about joy and fullness in Christ and peace, some of you may be wondering, what are they talking about? It's only when you come to Jesus and have the relationship with him, a personal relationship, that you know, oh, that's what they're talking about. Peace and joy and comfort from the Holy Spirit. You have to experience it to experience it. Just like in those days, if you had never been to the Feast of Booth and seen the joy and the celebration, you couldn't have experienced it. You couldn't have known what it was all about. Once Jesus was an incarnate man, and now he is in us by his Spirit. Listen to John 14, 16 through 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. After Jesus rose from the dead, but before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples to remain in Jerusalem. Why? He said, until you receive power from on high, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we see, as the point is, Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit for peace in life. We're reminded of this fact that it's Jesus that sends us the Holy Spirit when we read the Nicene Creed, which we try to do every quarter here. The Nicene Creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Are you starting to see the Trinity in these verses that we're reading here today? Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Amazing. Paul writes to the Christians, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, 
The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Jesus, as an incarnate man, is in heaven, in His body, and we can't see Him today. We walk by faith and not by sight in that regard. But yet, He is in us because of His Spirit, because of the risen, risen, glorified Christ living in us. That's what it means to have the Spirit of God in you. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit dwell in you. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit for life and peace. But I want to pause and just say, oh, how often, though we have this awesome promise of Jesus, this awesome gift of the Holy Spirit to satisfy us, to be a comforter, to be our life and our peace, how often do we choose to try to fill our lives with other things other than God himself? Jeremiah 2, 13 talks about this. God says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, jars, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's a great snare, isn't it, of the enemy to try to get us to fill our lives with anything besides Christ. It's, and it's futile. It can't satisfy us. It's like taking a broken jar and dipping it in water and expecting it to hold water. It's futile. It doesn't work. If we're not careful, especially in a land of abundance, right? We can fill our lives with so many other things. Money and cars and houses, entertainment, careers, trusting in governments, our health, our retirement. In the end, none of those things satisfy. Drink of those wells, and I guarantee you, you will be thirsty again. They cannot satisfy us. It's only when we turn to Christ and through the Holy Spirit that we can be satisfied. That's why the Bible tells us, don't quench the Holy Spirit in your life. Be continually filled with Him every day. Then every river that's necessary for, the, for your joy will flow to your soul and through your soul from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's promised that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. When we look to Jesus and keep your eyes fixed on him, we have joy overflowing and full. You'll never have to search again for joy and satisfaction and meaning in your life if you come to Jesus. You'll be as Isaiah 58, 11 writes, a watered garden, a spring of water whose water does not fail. Amen. So last point this morning, point number three. What we receive from God is meant to flow out of us. Verse 38 says, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That term there, that word heart, literally means belly. It means your innermost man. 
And notice that it's, it's a river that flows. It's not just a single drink or a stream. It's meant to be a stream, a fountain that's overflowing. The point here is that, brothers and sisters, we're not meant to be a bucket, right? It's not like we take in and we take in of the Holy Spirit and we collect it into a bucket. Stagnant water does what? Dies. If there's no outlet, you become like the Dead Sea, dead. The Holy Spirit, the gifts that God's given us, they're meant to flow out of us as a spring welling up to eternal life. Jesus said this in, in Acts chapter 1-8. We, we mentioned it earlier when he told the people to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what's one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit was given? For power. To be Christ's witnesses in the world. To the end of the world. To the end of the earth. And that's still happening today. If you are a Christian, you come to Christ, never doubt that your life matters. Never doubt that you have power to make an influence in someone's life. Because Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, matters. And He wants to use you and me in our lives that are so temporary and so frail. He wants to use us to bring glory to His name and to save the world, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. In a devotion that I read, and we're coming close to the end, from Oswald Chambers, he talked about this effect of the Holy Spirit and the blessing, the outpouring of our lives that it's meant to be. And I want to just read this to you. He says that a river, the river, the illustration of a river, the river reaches places which its source never knows. And Jesus said that if we have received his fullness, rivers of life, that it will flow out of us, reaching and blessing even to the ends of the earth. Regardless of how small the visible effects of life's may appear to be, and God rarely shows people how great a blessing they may be to others. A river is victoriously persistent, overcoming all barriers. For a while it goes on steadily on its course, and then it may come to an obstacle. And for a little while it may be blocked. But it soon makes a pathway around the obstacle. A river will drop out of sight for miles, only to later emerge even broader than before. Do you see God using others but an obstacle has come into your life and you seem to not be used by God, keep paying attention to the source. God will either take you around that obstacle or he will remove it. The river of the Spirit of God overcomes all obstacles. Never focus your eyes on the obstacle or the difficulty. The obstacle will be a matter of indifference to the river that will flow steadily through you if you simply remember to stay focused on the source. Never allow anything 
to come between you and Jesus Christ. Not emotion, not experience. Nothing must keep you from the one great sovereign source. Amen. If you believe in Jesus, you will find that God has developed in you and nourished in you mighty rushing rivers that are meant to flow out of you for the blessings of others. So in closing this morning, I want, I want to stress this one fact. There's only one condition. There's only one condition that is given by Christ to come to him, and that's thirst. Spiritual thirst. David knew something of this when he was wandering in the wilderness himself in Judah, and he wrote Psalm 63. He said this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Chambers again writes in his book on the agony, the shadow of agony. He says, to those who have no agony, Jesus says, I have nothing to do with you. I have nothing for you. Stand on your own feet, square your own shoulders. I have come for the man who knows he has a bigger handful than he can cope with who knows there are forces he cannot touch. I will do everything for him if he will let me. Only let a man grant he needs it, and I will do it for him. The hymn writer who wrote Come Ye Sinners talks about this. We, read, we sing this, this great hymn, Come ye sinners, come and welcome God's free bounty glorified. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Spiritual thirst. If today you don't have that thirst, pray to God. Even that is is a gift from God. It can be granted to you. Pray to God. Make me thirsty for you today. At the Feast of Booths, we remember God's provision. In Jesus, God tabernacled amongst us. He chose to be born in a lowly manger where certainly the stars might have peeked through and cracks in the roof let the elements invade. Nevertheless, in that lowly place of human frailty dwelt God's glorious presence. The transient and the eternal beautifully coming together for God's provision and his presence. Jesus came to earth to save people from their sins, his people. He made an incredible invitation to those people. And 2,000 years later today, That invitation is the same. Let all who thirst come to Jesus and drink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you sent your only Son 
That whosoever would believe in him, thirst for him, would be filled. And Lord, you freely give. It's by your grace that we are saved, not by works lest anyone can boast. Father God, this morning, help us to remember our need for Christ. Give us anew that sense of thirst and that hunger to know you more. Lord, be glorified in our lives. Use us, Lord God, as rivers of living water flowing out of us to the ends of the earth to glorify your name, to bring people to Christ, to salvation, to him alone be all the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.